Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host, the speaker. Joining us today, Corey's out this week. How are you, speaker? I'm good. It's early. Waking yeah. up. I need my coffee. <laughs> Did you get some how coffee? I used to do this every week. Oh, it's crazy. Right. I'm good. Nice. I'm good. How's everyone out there? Well, I know that we've been having some um, listeners asking about you, so I'm sure they're glad to hear from you and uh, see how you're doing. And uh, so, yeah, glad you could join us this week, especially uh, with Corey being out. So I appreciate I appreciate you coming on today. No, I got you. I got you. I don't mind coming on to help. Like I said, I'll, I'll work around it. And it's good to be back every now and then. It keeps me sharp. Right. Mm-hmm. Every time I do a podcast, that feels like it's the first time I get all nervous. That's good. Yeah, we're gonna get you. We're gonna get you caught up on everything that's been going on over here in our neck of the woods, and maybe you can throw in some stuff going on in your neck of the woods. Today, we're gonna talk about and cover just a, a few articles posted on Corey's digs this week, plus talk about the debt ceiling fight, Biden's classified documents. Jacinda Ardern resigning. That's interesting. Yeah. And the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos this week. So lots to cover and get you caught up on. Yeah. Right. So I just, before we get into some of these topics that we dig into a little bit deeper, I did want to mention that um, Corey's Diggs reports um, have, have, uh, have put several reports out this week. Um, on Corey Stiggs, Robert Peters, I'm sorry, Robin Peterson published a report this week providing a lot of key updates on truckers and diesel fuel. Um, so check that out for some good updates on that front, um, as well as Corey published volume nine of her Red Pill Library, which is just an excellent resource with tons of links connecting you to reports on various topics. Um, you can find them just really all in one place here. So it's a great resource for our listeners or for sharing with other people to get them up to speed on everything that's going on. And also, I published a report just recently on Corey Stiggs called Funding the Control Grid Part 1, the biomedical framework. So this is a kind of a deep dive into the funding and legislation crammed into the omnibus bill that'll be used to control us and and these programs that we need to defund immediately. So check that out as well. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that. Check it all out on CoreySticks.com. But the first topic we want to get into today is the debt ceiling. So uh, things are really heating up over the debt ceiling fight. This is the first big challenge for the new House Republican leadership. And the big question is, will they stand firm on cutting reckless spending that's driving inflation, or are they going to cave on the status quo? Do you have any thoughts on that? It's almost like they don't know that printing endless amounts of money is going to end up in debt. Crazy. Right. It's like they think they have an endless credit card, which they do. Yeah, up until this point. And you can see how it just really has gotten exponentially out of control, especially um, since 2000, but definitely going into um, the pandemic. It's just like really gone out of control. I mean, there's insane amount of money. Unsustainable. Um, Right now. Right now, the U.S. debt is nearly yeah. at $31.5 trillion. And our debt-to-GDP ratio is over 120% now. So that's insane. But um, the interest payments alone, this is to put it into perspective, just paying the interest payments. Think about when you pay your credit card, credit cards off or whatever. The interest payments alone on this debt that we've already created is nearly the same as last year's entire defense budget. So that's massive. We're talking, you know, over $700 billion, uh, just in the interest payments alone. And it's absolutely unsustainable. 
But it's just scary watching this. It'd be nice if it was my bank account, but it's just scary. It's right. terrifying. Right. They don't consider that our the biggest threat to our national security is our debt and our spending and our inflation. Um, so, but of course, I think that um, we know that this is entirely by design. I mean, a major part of the Great Reset Plan is to reset the financial system. And how do you do that? Well, first, you have to crash the system to do that, right? So don't you think that this is all intentional? Um, we're, we're moving into that, uh, this world world-dominated one currency are we not you know let this crash and that's what they're trying to push now especially with the digital currency and things like that they're they're trying to consolidate or date it all into one sell you this uh digital form of currency which you cannot own which is no, no, nothing physical for you to hold um not based on any gold just based on numbers and yeah it's, it's completely I, 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 programmable I, I, completely yeah. programmable so so if they you talk about um any of this in davos well i mean i know we're gonna get there but... oh yeah of course mm. they have i mean i don't think that yeah i'm sure they have and they've definitely talked about um the digital aspect of things of the this control grid that they're creating and the financial system is absolutely intertwined with that um so, yeah, I mean, and, and going back to the, the whole plan, of course, it is a digital currency, a central bank digital currency um, that's completely programmable. So, you know, if you don't take the, the jab in the next public health emergency, your bank account shut down. If you don't, um, if you protest, your bank account shut down. It's the it's Chinese model, is it not? Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it's it's going the way with the way of the social credit score. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. But we have this opportunity right now to use this debt ceiling as leverage and put a halt to this plan. Um, if the House Republicans can stand their ground and negotiate some really deep spending cuts in exchange for raising the debt ceiling, which I think ultimately will happen. Um, but the Biden White House is signaling no deal, no negotiations whatsoever on anything for the debt ceiling. So right now we're at this standoff, but um, things won't get really dicey until this summer. As of Thursday of this week, uh, the U.S. hit its cap on issuing new debt. But the Treasury is going to initiate these sort of emergency measures to keep things going until June. And that's when it's going to get really heated. And the U.S. will be looking at either defaulting or raising the debt limit. But um, I wanted to point out uh, this picture here because this is a recent uh, GOP conference meeting, a House, a House Republicans meeting kind of about their plans for this year and what they're going to try to accomplish with regards to the debt. And um, I'll just read some of these off. So um, it says, adopt a fiscal year 2024 budget resolution balancing within 10 years. That's um, a hefty goal there, but I think it's necessary. Um, reforms to budget process and mandatory spending programs caps on fiscal year 2024 discretionary spending at enacted fiscal year 2022 levels or lower. So going back to prior to 2022 levels, that's a good start. Um, only pass appropriations bills that comply with the budget, re budget resolution and pass all 12 regular appropriations bills on time. And this is instead of cramming all 12 regular appropriations bills into one ginormous omnibus bill with tons of pork and other legislation and, and initiatives in it. Right, as we just saw them do in December. Uh, pass a continuing resolution before September 30th reject any negotiations with the Senate unless their appropriate appropriations bills 
are passed that comply with House budget resolutions and reduce non-discretionary, uh, non-defense discretionary spending. And this one's key. They will not agree to a debt limit increase without a budget agreement or commencement fiscal reforms. So they're looking to get something out of a deal to raise the debt limit. Um, something in regards to reforms or um, a budget agreement for 2024. So, and I think this is good because this is literally the only uh, leverage that we have this year since they passed that omnibus bill in December before the House, uh, before the, the Republicans took the House um, in 2023, that took away the Republicans' leadership's uh, ability to do anything in 2023. It took away all their leverage. And now all we have left is this uh, debt ceiling to use as leverage to get the kind of reforms that we need um, to put a halt to this out of control spending that's really the biggest national security threat. But it's terrifying, terrifying how bad it's getting. Yeah. I don't even say Nostrader at the moment, but we, we all know you, you, you guys lead the way when it comes to debt. But right. Jesus, the Western world has been, it's just a shit show. Well, we feel like we have to pay for everything, every single possible, um, you know, need for the entire world. We're dumping after seriously. I've done a lot of research into the omnibus bill lately um, from writing these reports, and there are literally hundreds of billions of dollars being recklessly wasted. And a lot is being spent on programs that are actually used to and to be weaponized against mm -hmm. the very taxpayers who are funding it. Of course. So and this it has, has been to happening stop for so long. Yeah. Just the amount of pork that's going in these bills and every year it gets passed, passed, passed. It's just, it's insane. Yeah, but there's a lot of pressure on all sides. And so we're just going to have to see how this fight turns out. House Republicans are meeting next week to plan their strategy for the debt ceiling showdown. And their top priorities for what they want to cut. Um, so I think that it's important that we support our representatives on this debt ceiling fight and, and talk to them, tell them how we feel about it, let them know uh, what has to be defunded immediately uh, and give them our support. And hopefully they'll stand strong in this fight. Sure. Yeah, so moving on um, to the next topic, and, you know, we've, we've got to chat about this, about the Biden classified documents. I mean, how many stashes of classified documents have they found at this point? I mean, I think we're on number four. OK, so we're four on now? the fourth mm. stash of classified documents now. I did, I, I, this has been going around even over here. You're seeing glimpses of it and they do pretty well to cover up their incompetence, especially from overseas. I mean, they don't broadcast it too much over here. Um, but like when you when you're getting notices of this on like mainstream media and stuff like that, it's like, oh, I wonder what's going on over there now. Right. <laughs> it has been a slow drip for weeks now, showing that Biden took you know classified documents while he was VP. Remember, when you're a VP, you don't have declassification powers like you do when you're a president. And he's stashing them here and there and everywhere. He stashed them in his fake think tank, uh, which really looks to be like a pay-for-play hub uh, where the CCP paid for Biden's influence. And then he stashed them in his garage uh, where Hunter had access to it. I mean, Hunter was um, living on and off in this home. He uh, looked like he was using this as operating his criminal enterprise to sell information. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it definitely is sketchy. And I think that what's most interesting about it is, well, of course, you know, the DOJ knew about it all along, um, especially prior to the midterm election, but they agreed to keep it secret so of that of course they could steal the midterms and then raid Trump 
um, as somehow, you know, a way to inoculate Biden when the news did eventually leak out. But it is interesting that um, we're seeing it slow drip out now. As you mentioned, you're seeing it over in your neck of the woods. And it's all coming from the mainstream media, which is telling. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. So um, why now? Why is the deep state and the media um establishment throwing biden to the wolves now and um do you think it's time for a regime change do you think the establishment has time decided that it's time i mean it, it's it's definitely going to ramp up before the next election because there's no way he can run again that's just it if he runs again and if he wins it just shows you how how deep the corruption goes like there's no possible way they can put that man there again as a figurehead i'm sure the like in, in a way i'm sure that they'll like him too i mean it's so easy to control right it's 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 it's, it's like a dog when you're trying to feed him a treat it's, it's so easy to control right they like that but maybe it's just getting to the point now where he's making too many gas and he's 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 making whole behind the scenes kind of look bad you know right i mean we always knew that biden was just this empty suit filling a seat and they'd eventually replace him i mean i think that we thought he wouldn't last this long (laughs) i did did not see that happening yeah not at all yeah but i think this his, his time is coming and um this news really started to come out just as Biden plans to launch his 2024 campaign, which is also telling. So I think this is definitely a controlled demolition of Biden, the useful idiot, in preparation by the D.C. establishment to put somebody else that's just another empty suit in his place. But, you know, the the Uniparty sees, I think, the writing on the wall because the House Republicans just took over and they're going to be initiating investigations, especially into Hunter Biden now with subpoena power. And I think that the establishment is really cutting uh, Biden loose to save itself. You know, the intelligence community um apparatus and all of these other swamp creatures are really just gonna let biden fall take the fall and just move on to the next empty suit who'll do their bidding right yeah that's what it seems like to me i'm just surprised that it's taken this long yeah 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 and it's really interesting the timing yeah i definitely think that this all is kind of um in reaction to uh, these investigations that are going to be very public coming up about Hunter Biden um, and the laptop and, and the whole Biden crime family. Also leading up to the presidential election for 2024, they got to get their ducks in a row and ready to install their next, you know, globalist um that they want uh so yeah i think that this is all strategically being leaked to the public and the media picking up that story and just really you know amplifying it is um unusual for them you know Mm -hmm. since they have really coddled him since the beginning of his presidency so you can completely see the shift now Mm -hmm. um as though they're ready to just cut him loose but um, speaking of another leader, uh, another globalist puppet, um, also on the way out. Um, <laughs> this is just really interesting news coming out this surprising. week. Yeah, surprising. And the news about Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand, resigning this week. I mean, it just kind of came to a sh- as as a shock to most of us. I think, right? Yeah, not not a lot of people saw it coming. There were rumors circulating around in October. Um, that something like this may happen, but it was quickly kind of shelved and she came out and said that she was uh, quite adamant that she was going to run in October again. Uh, she's been there for a while now. She's She's been in politics her whole life since she was 17, I think. Um, 
so yeah, it it's just it's it's very interesting because Jacinda's obviously one one of the ones that have caused one of the biggest stirs. I mean, putting in the most draconian uh lockdown laws in New Zealand was quite happy when you know segregation of vaccinated and non-vaccinated people were brought up she was more than happy to segregate those people that were not vaccinated and pretty much kick them out of society is what she was saying um so her she received a lot of blowback especially in New Zealand as well you know maybe you didn't hear a lot about it but you know the the Marys were performing hackers outside Parliament, and it was quite a it's quite a big thing because those those um, laws that you wanted to put in were were draconian, at, yeah. at least. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was actually going to play that video clip in just a minute. But first, I want to play a clip, a quick clip, uh, kind of mashing up, you know, some of the draconian, authoritarian. Uh, mandates that she imposed on her people just to give people a reminder of what she did. I mean, she is a terrible prime minister and most authoritarian administration they've ever seen. And she, I don't think she's going to be missed at all. But I'm going to play this clip real quick. So just give me a second. That's the lady with the big teeth who tormented her citizens has just announced she is leaving office. Here she was moments ago. Announcing that I will not be seeking re-election. And then my term as Prime Minister will conclude no later than the 7th of February. Most authoritarian leader that country has ever had and no one else comes close. An appalling abuser of human rights of her own people. She, of course, earned the admiration of Western leaders, including former CIA director Michael Hayden, by ushering in an era of near totalitarianism in New Zealand. She shut down the entire country over a single COVID case. She told everyone to stay in their bubbles. She told citizens to inform on their neighbors by calling the police if they saw them outside. I'm not making this up, by the way. We kept a video record. Here's some of it. Stay local and do not congregate. Don't talk to your neighbors. Please keep to your bubbles. It comes down again to those very simple principles. We know from overseas uh, cases of the Delta variant that it can be spread by people simply walking past one another. So keep those movements outside to the bare minimum. If someone refuses in our um, facilities to be tested, they have to keep staying. So they won't be able to leave after 14 days. They have to stay on for another 14 days. So it's a pretty good incentive. You either get your tests done and make sure you're cleared, or we will keep you in a facility longer. So I think people, most people, will look at that and say, "I'll take the, I'll take the test." You can now see family and friends again in their homes, and use the bathroom inside. Luxury. What are the chances she was a puppet of the Chinese government? We don't have enough evidence to prove that, but we would rate that as about 100% likely. That was only a little bit. Oh, just a just tip of the <laughs> iceberg of what the that woman did. I'm glad to see her go, but, you know, my mind always goes to, it's skeptical, like leading to questions of why and why now and what's the catch? Hmm. It's it, I, I, she fits into that this perfect uh, Patsy narrative, just like she's almost the mirror image of Trudeau and Macron. You know, they're almost the same person. You notice that? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> World Economic Forum elites and mm-hmm. um, who just echo. Everything. I mean, we know Jacinda is a puppet for the World Economic Forum and the CCP has influence on her. So I don't really think that this early retirement was her decision. I think mm-hmm. it's possibly a chess move. Uh, she's been another useful idiot, but her role has uh, as PM is done now. And done. Um, whoever's pulling the strings behind the scenes, they want to see a new puppet in place, right? Um, there's also some other things that I've kind of noticed and kind of read. I'm wondering if they're pushing us for a UN role. Yes, I was reading All that right. in an article too. Um, there's rumors, just as there were rumors back in October of Jacinda um, resigning early, 
Uh, and then she, you know, discredited those rumors. There's rumors also about her taking a role at the UN, which she said, you know, she's not really said anything about. Um, but I think that's quite possible. Um, so we'll she see. Hasn't, uh, being in that position hasn't treated her well. She's only 42 years of age. Yeah. Like, just looking at those pictures. It's, yeah, it's, it's been some hard years on her. So 42 is not, is not old, people. Yeah, but I think this move also has to do um, with the fact that her poll numbers are tanking. She's got no support leading up to the election, and that's coming up in this October. Um, she destroyed her people, you know, people's lives, their livelihoods, mm. the economy. So maybe the ruling class in New Zealand would just like to see her go now and time to put a fresh face in the seat to give their party a greater chance of victory come October. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, like her, her stepping down and retiring like this kind of gives her a leg up. It kind of makes her look more holier than now than it would if she was to lose election it still keeps her in a position of power i feel um if she takes this step instead of losing out in an election being beaten decisively whether that happens or not you know who, who knows but it just feels like she still has uh she's maintained some of her power by doing this i think yeah and there's four likely or several likely candidates to take arden's place um they vote this Sunday. Uh, one of them is Chris Hipkins, who was the minister for COVID and oversaw the authoritarianism, the lockdowns, quarantines, masks, vaccine mandates. Um, other possible candidates include uh, Kiri Allen, uh, Nanaya, Nanaya Mahuta, uh, Michael Wood, and Meccan Woods. So um, we'll see who takes power takes the position um as soon as this sunday but uh arden said at least by um the first week of, of february so but as you said what will arden do next uh well there's definitely rumors about the um position at the un and i think that that may be likely um but i don't think she's completely out of the picture it's just yeah, a, a reshuffling so. of the deck, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I did want to play just a, a couple of clips in the past um, couple of years that we have um, that we've seen happen out of New Zealand um, with protests and how much the people just absolutely hated all of the lockdowns and all of the mandates and really pushed back. And I do remember, I mean, this. Um, this particular protest um, showing the Hakka war dance. Um, do you want to set this up? Because this is what you were referring to. Yeah, no, this uh, the Hakka is a big thing uh, for the Maoris. It's 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 their it's their kind of ceremonial dance they do before any major event, whether it be a funeral or a, or a football game, rugby game. It it it, it encapsulates Maori pride. And every Maori I know of are very, they get very sentimental when they do that. They get very emotional. It, it, it is an amazing thing to see at a full level. If you've ever, uh, you know, go on YouTube, just search, you know, biggest hackers and, and you'll see how much it means to them. It encapsulates the spirit of what it is to be a New Zealander. And for them to do the, the, that outside parliament in such big numbers is, it's it, it's it's a big thing. It's a, it's a very big it's it, it's probably the most devastating thing they could have done, you know. Right. It, it was a very powerful moment. I mean, I remember when this happened live, and it just gives me chills every time I see it. So I just wanted to replay it, even though um, it just sounds like a bunch of yelling. But it just it's all in unison, and it's just a powerful moment um, that I think will go down in history um, of this crazy COVID era. So I'm gonna play it.
can you imagine going back 500 years and watching Maori tribes fight each other? You know, like it would have been, <laughs> it would have been terrifying. Right. That would have been epic to see. <laughs> but yeah, they are terrifying. And yes, this is a very powerful moment um, in the history of New Zealand, standing up against the regime and all of the authoritarianism they imposed under Arden. So, so glad to see her go. But um, don't think she's going to be off of the world stage um, as this you know, another one of those World Economic Forum mm-hmm. acolytes. So uh, speaking of the World Economic Forum. All the uh, best people. Yeah, <laughs> made up. Davos, Switzerland. Yeah. Tony Blair, Al Gore. Mm-hmm. All the saviors of humanity. That's good. Right, right. So the World Economic Forum meeting, uh, meetings, they've been taking place all week. And all of the worst of the worst authoritarian globalists, of course, have all shown up, even knowing how much the public hates them at this point. I think it's really top of the mind awareness of what the World Economic Forum stands for, what their agenda is to take over the world through the Great Reset. And they're still doing it. Um, But, you know, and I think this time they decided that they needed about, oh, just about 5,000 police to protect. Yeah. So I think they're aware of it a too. Small army, yeah. <laughs> right. It's almost like the World Economic Forum, uh, like uh, because we see it getting bigger every year, right? It's almost like it's taken over from the Bilderberg meetings. You know, mm-hmm. they just made it more public now. Right. And it's just in the face of everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of these um, operations that they've been doing for decades, um, covertly, they have begun f- over the past several years of doing them. Um, overtly, and World Economic Forum is obviously no exception to that, but um, several Americans uh, showed up to this World Economic Forum a meeting in Davos. Um, some of those Americans include, of course, John Kerry and Al Gore, um, but yeah. uh, of course there was also Christopher Ray, the FBI director. I remember him. Treasury Secretary Yellen was in Davos. Um, also, several members of Congress went. Chris Coons, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, Maria Salazar, and, and governors, too. Brian Kemp and Pritzker showed up, uh, and they all did this panel. Of course, they had to trash MAGA and call them crazy extremists. And uh, Manchin even advocated for um, shutting people down off social media, um, so they couldn't, you know, amplify amplify their messages. Um, they bragged about what a great job they've done uh, <laughs> over the past couple of years. Uh, it was just absurd, absolutely absur- absurd. Uh, just a bunch of swamp creatures. Um, then there was CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, um, who also went and uh, had to give his take, his hot takes on... Uh, <laughs> how he plans to take over the financial sector and already has. Uh, But I want to play a few clips from the World Economic Forum over this week. Um, Christopher Wray, uh, everybody was just incredibly upset um, about Christopher Wray's appearance at the World Economic Forum this week because um, it's just an... I, I can't believe I have to even say this, but it's entirely inappropriate for the, America's um, top, you know, law enforcement official to be going to a globalist um, elite uh, meeting about how they plan to reset the, the entire world. It, it doesn't, it, it's absolutely stunning that he would even go to this. Um, but what's even funnier is what he said during this World Economic Forum meeting. Um, he had to refer to his agency, the FBI, who's been exposed just in the past few days um, with the Twitter files as being completely embedded with and involved in um, the censorship process of American citizens. <laughs> and they refer to themselves as the good guys. So um, I'm just going to play this clip real quick.
where in a world where all these technologies are available to both the good guys and the bad guys, the good guys are constrained by the rule of law and international norms. Bad guys aren't, which you could argue in a sense gives them a competitive advantage. The competitive advantage the good guys have is that for all the reasons Matthew said, when we're all working together, then they're no match. Yes. Uh, because the bad guys' relationships with each other are purely transactional and they'll turn on each other in a heartbeat if, uh, if it suits them. But because they're not constrained by the rule of law, because they're not constrained by international norms, we have to be mindful of the advantage that gives them and work together in partnership. Yeah. In a uh, FBI, the good guys. <laughs> uh, agency that used to stand for something. Yeah, there we go. Right, right. We're the good guys who <laughs> have to follow the rule of law. How hilarious is that? I know, right? It's so funny. And <laughs> It'd be so funny if it wasn't so detrimental. Right? <laughs> so Dr. Evil himself made an appearance, of course, at the World Economic Forum to congratulate the Chinese government and the European Union on, on, on the fine job they've done on imposing authoritarianism and kickstarting this whole Great Reset. But that's not the clip I want to play you. I want to play how apparently Klaus Schwab is just too busy to answer any questions from independent journalists outside of Davos. And this is just a short, you know, minute and a half clip, but got to play it. From? Uh, I'm from Japan. Yeah. And may I uh, ask you for a comment? No, we're, we're on our we're no, on our way to the you. next thing. We're a bit late. Uh, oh, but I can thank just you. walk with thank you, you and then ask. Oh, I think we're gonna we're gonna rush actually. But thank you. Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, but, uh, which which uh, media are you with? Uh, I am an independent journalist from yeah, Japan. Yeah. No, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. I have and, to ask. Thank but you. Thanks. Me, for, thank me. you. <laughs> I, I want to ask just, just one more one question. Uh, thank you. Take care of yourself. Where are you guys? Uh, I can just smoke and ask you. Yeah, we're not. Thank you. No, we're in a big rush. We've got so many things tonight. But, but for us, but it's, thank very, you. it's very. Uh, I know, I know, I know. You can, I can, he's got so many people stopping yeah, that yeah. if you were to stop for everything, yeah, we win. That's the unfortunate. So I'm very sorry, but thank uh, you. But thank you for trying. Do, do you know the thank voice you. that uh, worry about globalism? Thank you. <laughs> nice evening. Thank you. Thank you. That's funny. What media are you from? Are you, I, I, are you from the one of the ones that we control or not? I just need to ask. Right. <laughs> Did you see how he just started running as soon as she yeah. was like, I'm an independent journalist. Oh, yeah. never mind. <laughs> funny. Oh, it's so telling. And um, this moment was hilarious because Brian Stelter, <laughs> formerly of CNN, hosted a World Economic Forum panel on the clear and present danger of disinformation. How hilarious is That's so that? Funny. Oh, these people are just completely, they've lost all credibility. Oof. They never had any. <laughs> never had any, yeah. <laughs> but there's one really interesting one I wanted to play um, from John Kerry because it just exposes what these people really think of themselves. I mean, he just says it all in this clip. I have to play it um, at the World Economic Forum. It's just complete. He's a complete megalomaniac. Uh, he had to glorify himself and his fellow elitist globalists for, quote, saving the world, saving the planet. Sorry, saving the planet. Oh, so the planet. listen. 
And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever. And, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. These people. Oh, all right. The saviors <laughs> of humanity. Oh, yeah. They're extraterrestrials here to save <laughs> the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They are abs absolutely in another world, uh, an, a completely different reality. Um, but speaking of people who think they want to save the planet, uh, Pfizer's Albert Bula. Um, of course, had to take the stage on a panel um, at the World Economic Forum and tout just the incredible job that Pfizer's done um, over the course of the pandemic. And this panel, I think, was on planning for the next pandemic. So, and there was Tony Blair, and he had to talk about putting digital mechanisms into place and in time for the next pandemic and political mechanisms in place through the World Health Organization and, of course, scaling up production of all kinds of new mRNA injections. So, I mean, these people, they openly brag about how COVID was just the beginning and that it presented an opportunity for them to put these mechanisms in place and they have absolutely no intention of stopping now they're ramping up on dozens if not hundreds more MR mrna injections for all kinds of illnesses and already intentionally planning the next pandemic and putting all kinds of uh, ways of controlling us in place before that happens. So. Yeah, don't be surprised you see Jacinda up there in the next few years, just like Blair is and everything. That's always a role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, of course, Borla was not too keen to talk to the press outside. Um, Avi Yemeni uh, caught <laughs> caught him and Ezra Levant caught him outside. This is a six minute long clip, but it, it's just so good because, you know, you never get to catch these people off guard. So it's a rare moment of catching these people. And even if they don't respond, um, just actually getting some hard hating questions to them. Uh, and I think Ezra Levant and Avi Yemeni did a, a great job. So I'll play a few minutes of it. Mr. Borla, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. To that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Yeah, you have a little bit of rain. Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? Are you proud of it? You've made millions on the backs of people's entire livelihoods. How does that feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht, sir? What do you think about on your <laughs> private jet? 
Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? What about the sudden deaths? What do you have to say about young men dropping dead of heart attacks every day? Why won't you answer these basic questions? No apologies, sir. Do you, do you think you should be charged criminally for Albert's for some of the criminal behavior you've obviously been a part of? How much money have you personally made off the vaccine? How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? <laughs> Nothing? Who did you meet with here in secret? Will you disclose who you met with? Who did you pay commissions to? In the past, Pfizer has paid $2.3 billion in fines for deceptive marketing. Have you engaged in that same conduct again? Are you under investigation like you were before for your deceptive marketing, sir? If any other product in the world doesn't work as promised, you get a refund. Should you not refund to countries that laid out billions for your ineffective vaccine? Are you used to only sympathetic media so you don't know how to answer any questions? Is that it? Shame on you. That's good. You gotta corner him like that. There's not much else you can do. You're not gonna get a question from him, but you know, at least you gotta throw it out there and you can unnerve him a bit. Their silence is just as telling as if yeah, they say really something. Is. And if they say something, it's just gonna be a lie anyways. But catching these people when they're not surrounded by the media that's all in on it, um, and and catching them off guard. It really does expose them, you know, um, and how they run away, how they absolutely just run away from any legitimate questions that the, the regular people have. Yeah. But that's pretty much my recap for the uh, World Economic Forum. It was oh, we, another we, clown we show. Do, we do have to add in the, the rise in prostitution in Dallas. Oh, I forgot about that. We yeah, have to, we have to put that in. Time to make some money for the ladies. Yeah, I read and the men. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I read that article. I think it was in Zero Hedge or maybe Daily Mail. So yeah, sorry, I didn't pull that up. Um, but no, yeah, no, no. no, the dark side of the dark side of Davos is what it was called, and apparently hundreds of prostitutes have made their way to Davos for one thing during the summit and apparently business is booming at the moment so right mm -hmm. yeah and, uh, there's a whole article i'll spread on it on, on one of these ladies that have talked out about it and you know they do this every year they, they make a lot of money off these you know moralistic people you know the people trying to save the world uh are out there away from their wives and their families having fun at davos and trying to save the world uh, right you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. Ugh, these people no. i think that i i think that it's clear at this point that the masses are aware of the world economic forum and their agenda don't you i mean uh say a year or two ago do you think that the, there was as much awareness as there is now uh definitely not and like the, the internet's helped with that and that's why, you know, they've tried so hard to keep control of this communication because they know it, it's a double-edged sword. You know, they can push their propaganda with it, but then there's always going to be people that are, you know, picking this shit out and are calling it out and that do have followings. So, of course, they need to try to cut the thread there because these things are getting out. So. Yeah, I definitely think that 2023 is the year where they completely lose narrative control. Um, we've seen it um, slowly happening, but right now it seems to be just um, a watershed moment where um, the disclosures that are happening, 
um, are compounding, um, whether it's say the the Twitter files um, or the people collapsing every other day on TV um, from adverse reactions from the jab. Um, it just seems like the public awareness is has become exponentially raised in a short period of time. And I think that that is going to be kind of the defining um, characteristic of 2023. What do you think? 100%. 100%. And definitely, definitely go um, check out some of these uh, Davos clips because there, there are so many people talking about some outrageous, outrageous things from, you know, 15-minute city-style concepts where people no longer need cars anymore. Uh, just just some of the outrageous shit that they're talking about. Give it a watch. Go research for yourself because it's bizarre. It's bizarre, but it's the reality that they are actually mm-hmm. trying to create for us. That's so it. it's time for people to um, get off the sidelines and get involved um, either by raising awareness or, um, you know, taking a stand by non-compliance or um, pressuring representatives to defund a lot of the the money into programs that are designed to control us. I mean, there's a number of ways that we can all get involved. And I think that we're going to see a lot more action um, instead of people sitting on the sidelines because um, I think that with the economy the way that it is, with inflation the way that it is, everybody's really feeling the effects in their personal lives, whether losing a job or the cost of living, um, but they're kind of at their wits end and and now more motivated to get involved. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think motivation is a, a, a good word. They can see all these things are ramping up, you know? And yeah. They just, you just go, you have to. Yeah, agree. All right, guys. So thanks, Speaker, for um, for right. joining me today. It was good to Anytime. good to talk to you. Yeah, good to be here. I hope all of you at home are doing well. It's I, and you know, living your life. At the end of the day, stay healthy, stay ravenous. All right, guys. Please be sure to share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud. Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, no longer on YouTube. So subscribe to our other platforms so you don't miss a podcast. And we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It.